Just a quick update for you as we start into the new year. You can see a little description of this in your info sheet, but throughout the course of 2012, we were producing for every series a journal, a momentum journal. And in the month of December, we asked for your feedback and said, what are the things in the journal in those sections that you actually like and use? And what we found was we were wasting a lot of paper because the primary usage points was the reading plan uh, and the prayer calendar. So more info on the prayer calendar next weekend. But this weekend, if you've sort of started into the new year and thought to yourself, I might like to maybe do a little bit of scripture intake in the new year. Uh, In your info sheet, there was an insert of a bookmark called Project 345. And this is a reading plan uh, which we've worked with our partners at Uversion on, youversion.com. Many of you have that on your tablets and on your smartphones. And this is, it's named 345 because uh, it on average takes about three minutes and 45 seconds to read through one chapter of the New Testament. And so what we've done is we've broken it up into uh, five times a week, one chapter uh, per day reading. So you choose a day. If you're busy one day, get at it the next day. And then you can track your progress on these bookmarks. Or if you are a person that's enamored with putting things on your smartphone or tablet, uh, go to uversion.com, look under plans, Project 345, and it can send you reminders or even send you the full text every day uh, if you're interested in that. So that's the new Momentum Journal strategy for you in terms of getting uh, engaged with God in his word in this calendar year. And it starts today, so you're not behind if you didn't start on January 1st uh, like you thought everybody else did. So as we uh, start into the new year, quick question for you. How many of you uh, made New Year's resolutions? I'm not going to ask if you've given them up already, by the way. I'm just going to a few of you. All right. So it seems like most of you are wise people and don't promise things that you're not going to deliver on. Um, because uh, the challenge with resolutions, I think anyways, is that we set out to make marginal improvements in a particular area of our lives. We're going to tweak this routine. We're going to adjust that, maybe do something a little bit different in this year. And that's not at all inappropriate in any way. But here's the problem, not just with resolutions, but as I think about myself and my life, if I only get around to changing one thing per year about myself and my life, it's never going to happen. Like, I'm just going to be... it's going to be a lost cause. I'm never going to actually experience any level of deep and genuine transformation in my life. I'm never going to get there uh, with the amount of years, however many, that God continues uh, to give me in his grace. I'm never going to be able, if I just change one thing per year, to actually live the life that God wants me to in a meaningful way, a life that's full and rich and deeply meaningful, a life that brings God and those around me joy and a deep sense of satisfaction and purpose as I model my life after Jesus. So today, we're going to begin a teaching series uh, where we look at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to discuss what it might take to see maybe not just one or two areas of your life changed as we move into this new year, but what would it look like to see your character, your whole character, your whole world begin to be transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit and turned upside down in 2020? 
13. Now I will warn you that the book of Romans is a totally complex beast. And so when you get there in your Project 345 readings, for me, reading like one chapter of the book of Romans, even if it might take me three minutes and 45 seconds per day, I just kind of get in a few sentences and go, what in the world is he talking about now? It's very dense. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans deal mostly with doctrine, what Christians believe, why they believe it, why it's important. But I want to suggest to you that based on my interactions with our neighbors, people that we know, um, it's, it's very rare that people come to a transformed life and come into a relationship with God based on the fact that you can convince them uh, in, by intellectual persuasion alone. In my experience, people not only need to hear about what followers of Jesus believe, they need to see how followers of Jesus live their lives as a result of being transformed. They need to observe ways in which our relationship with God begins to affect our actions and our thinking, not just the things that we say or not just hear propositional truths as foundational as those are. And this isn't a unique kind of postmodern 21st century phenomenon. It has always been so. Even in the very first century, the earliest stories we have recorded of Christians by those who were not followers of Jesus were looking at the way in which they lived their lives and writing historically and saying to them, this group of people looks after people in our society whom no one else cares for. They, they look after lepers. They care for widows and orphans. What's up with that? And here at Jericho Ridge, I want us to be known not as people who have some kind of all of our theological ducts in a row, but people who live, as our mission statement reflects, we aspire to be a loving and listening people extending God's hope and reconciliation to our community in all of life, all of the time. We're living our, what we believe out, not just kind of memorizing doctrinal truths about who God is. I want us to be known for our work with the 18% of the population in Guatemala that's disabled and whom a $115 wheelchair can radically transform their life. I want us to be known as people who, when the Kettle Campaign has a shortage here in Langley of volunteers, we jump in so that the hungry and the homeless in our community know and receive dignity that they deserve. This is why we're sending... H and K. Can you guys stand up? We're sending uh, people here from Jericho to a, this spring, to a minority and oppressed people group in a remote region in Asia for long-term work and service. Because we need them not just to hear about Jesus, we need them to see them living their lives out as a family and as a team in that culture and calling people to vibrant faith. 
This is why our family and others from Jericho are going to Tanzania in the summer to work with orphans who suffer extreme discrimination in society. All of these things are a part, and many, many others, daily actions that are taken by lives of people here at Jericho, working in hospice, caring for neighbors, taking meals to people who need it. These are part of living out our mission because we witness with our lives, lives that look visibly different, lives that are upside down in many ways from a typical prevalent system of organizing comfy suburban existence. 19th century preacher Matthew Henry says it this way, we mistake our religion as Christians if we look on it only as a system of notions. No, it's a practical religion designed not only to inform our judgment, but to reform our hearts and our lives. So the first 11 chapters of Romans are kind of about doctrine, and then when chapter 12 comes around, that's what this teaching series is all about. It starts getting very, very practical, helping each of us work out the very practical and measurable ways in which our faith is transforming and reforming and informing every part of our lives and turning some of those parts upside down. So we're going to be uh, looking at Romans chapter 12 for January and February, and we're going to look verse by verse through Romans 12, verses 9 to 21, because we're going to see very specific and very radical examples of what living the transformed life actually means and what it looks like. And so the challenge as we enter 2013 that I want to put out to you and myself is that if you say that you are genuinely committed to being a follower of God in the way of Jesus, prove it. Prove it by your actions, not just your words or the box that you check off on a census form. So let's pray together this morning as we look into God's Word, and then we'll look at Romans chapter 12. God, we thank you that uh, you have given us, the Scripture says, everything we need for life and for godliness, and that those two things go hand in hand, that you've given us the things that we need to live our lives as representatives of your kingdom and of your character in the situations we find ourselves in. Whether we're going back to school tomorrow, whether we're back at work, in our neighborhoods, in all of these places. And so, God, as we look into your word, I pray that you would use your word and by your Holy Spirit would you speak to us, God, about the different areas of our lives that you want to see radically transformed and turned upside down. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to read uh, the entirety of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 22. It's going to come up on the side screens here for you, and I'll be reading from uh, the New Living Translation. So starting in verse 9, Paul, who is the author writing to the Christians who live in the city of Rome, says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord with enthusiasm or enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble 
keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We've had lots of news in the life of Jericho this last week of people who we are weeping with. Live in harmony with each other, verse 16 says. Don't be proud. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Romans 12, 9 to 22. Now, even reading that, you get a sense of kind of the density of things in the book of Romans. And you might notice that that, text almost seems a little scattershot, like it's just this whole series of random instructions about things that we might want to be about, and you wouldn't be too far off the mark. And so as we're going to do each week, I want to focus our attention on a smaller section and just kind of drill down a little more into it. And today we're going to look at the first verse of that section, Romans 12 verse 9, which functions uh, like a little bit of a heading for the whole section, and it's a little bit deceptively simplistic, because Romans 12, 9 just says very simply, don't pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. You think, all right, I guess I could start working on that in the new year. But the challenge that I have is, when I look at, read a verse like that, I think to myself, well, like, what does it mean to love others? What would it mean if I was just pretending to love someone? Like, how would you define love, really? And who's going to hold me accountable for it? I mean, what if I define it differently than somebody else? Love is a bit of a vague idea to define. And so in this text, from 12, 9 down to the end of the chapter, it's like the author is just spelling it out for us over and over and over and over again of saying, this is yet another example of what it means to love others around us. It's interesting. If you go through the scriptures, over and over and over again, we're instructed to love others. The amount of times that we're instructed to love others versus the amount of times which we're instructed to love God, it's actually disproportionately weighted towards loving others. I was just reading this last week, finishing off our Project 345 plan from last year in 1 John chapter 3. The entire chapter goes over and over and over again. Love others. If you don't love others, then this is how we're going to know that you actually are a person that's following in the truth. And 1 John chapter 3.18 says, let's not merely say that we love each other. Our actions, let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So the proof really is in the pudding, friends. You can't just say that, you know, you love hockey, but 
when, you know, the lockout's over, not wear your jersey. Thank you, Nigel, for representing this morning. You, you can't just say that you're a big Canucks fan and never watch a game, not own a stitch of merchandise, never talk about it. You can't love, say, oh, I love photography and never take or look at any pictures. And so this is where Romans 12.9 kind of anchors and begins with a very simple statement saying, listen, there's two types of Christian love. There's imitation love, which is all talk with no actions whatsoever to back it up. And then there's that sincere and deep and genuine love. And in our world today, if we're going to live on mission, imitation love will not cut it. People are smart. They can sniff out when you're pretending to love them, just doing your bit for them, for charity. Love must be sincere, the verse says, must be without hypocrisy, must be without dissimulation, no faking, no cheap knockoffs, no imitation. Now, a few years ago, I was in need of a winter jacket. And so a friend of mine was going to China, and he said, well, I'll pick you up one. I said, perfect. Uh, where, where are you headed? He said, I'm going to Beijing. And he said, the North Face factory is there. I said, perfect. Just head over to the North Face factory and grab me a new jacket. I hear it's way cheaper than it is buying it here. So off he goes, and I gave him all the specifications of what I was looking for. I said, I want a Summit Series jacket. I want this. I want that. So uh, he gets back with this jacket. And I was like, fantastic. Look how much I owe you for it. He was like, it was so cheap, don't even worry about it. I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm so excited. You know, I got this awesome jacket. You know, so I put it on, and I'm wearing it. And then after, like, less than a week, the zipper just totally breaks. And then, you know, I kind of look at it a little bit more closely, and it's supposed to have windstopper technology on it. I go out in a windy day, it doesn't stop the wind from coming through at all. So I kind of look a little more carefully. Then I call him up and I say, you know, I'm just curious about the jacket. You know, I'm not complaining or anything. I'm just kind of wondering, uh, you know, did, where did you get it? Did you get out to the North Face factory and, you know, see how everything was made? Oh, he says, I didn't have time to get to the, the factory, turns out. So I just went out to one of the street vendors and said, hey, have you got a North Face jacket that I could buy from you? So, you know, my North Face jacket you know, was all loaded up, looked like the real thing and everything, until you started to kind of get to know it a little bit. And then it was pretty clear it was a cheap knockoff. And it was an imitation. It wasn't the real deal. Now... I could still, if I put this on and wear it, like from a distance, if you're interacting with me, the stitching is reasonable facsimile. It's coming out a little bit now, but, you know, I could still fool you into thinking that, you know, I got this great North Face jacket. But if you get a little closer, like you can figure out, you know, look at the Windstop thing on there, that logo, that's not stitched very well at all. You can tell that it's a cheap knockoff. But you can fool people from a distance until you get up close and have a look at it. And that's what Romans 12, 9 is driving at with this whole notion of pretending. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you tell others that you're fully devoted to him, your love for other people had better not be a cheap knockoff. It had better be the real thing. Don't pretend. Don't waste time 
playing at this. Either your life is being transformed and turned upside down so that you possess increasing measures of genuine love for others, or it isn't. And let me tell you, I have lots of room to grow in this area of my life. There's people whom I find it very challenging to love. Maybe you do too. Maybe, uh, if I'm going to guess, maybe some of you spent some time with them over the course of this last month. You may have spent Christmas holidays with them. But I'm encouraged and challenged by the language that we chose to use around our core values here at Jericho Ridge because we chose very specifically intentionally not to use language that we've all arrived. Our core value on authentic community says, starts with the phrase, we desire relationships, not we've all arrived. We desire relationships with one another. We want to grow in this that are transparent, supportive, encouraging, and rooted in a desire to love as we have been loved by God. We're going to talk more about this next week when we get to Romans 12, verse 10. So move on from there to the second phrase for us to pay attention to in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And that second phrase, as we consider what it means to live a transformed life, is hate what is evil or hate what is wrong. A violent dismissal or disassociation of that which is shadowy, which is dark, and which will pull us down. Now, again, I come back to my problem with New Year's resolutions, if you made one. Usually, resolutions are built upon the template of, here is what I am not going to do this year. I am not going to do X, and I'm not going to do Y. But this strategy in isolation almost never works, which is why a lot of us don't make New Year's resolutions. Why? Well, because I'm going to suggest that you can't experience a genuinely transformed life simply by telling yourself over and over and over again what you are not going to do. Porn is bad. I shouldn't spend more money than I make. I shouldn't get emotionally and physically involved with that person who isn't my spouse. I shouldn't overeat. I shouldn't lose my temper with my kids. Don't do this. Don't do that. And the list goes on and on and on. Simply hating what is wrong in 2013 will not get you to transformed living. Gary Thomas, in his excellent book, Pure Pleasure, says it, this way. I'm going to read an extended quote, and then the very bottom of it's up on the screen there. For years, the church has tried to scare us out of sin. For example, you could fortify yourself against an affair by meditating on all of the evil that could result, the consequences of bringing home a sexually transmitted disease, the shame of getting caught and exposed, maybe risking your job or at least your reputation, the pain of seeing your spouse's hurt reaction, the horror of watching your kids lose their respect for you, or the threat of a revenge-minded spouse. And there is certainly a place for this approach. If you lived strictly not to sin, you might even be able to make a case that such an exercise of meditating on those things would bring spiritual benefit. Or you could focus on building a marriage and with thoughts of straying get pushed out by real 
and satisfying intimacy in which there's no room for another lover. You could spend your time actively raising your children, becoming engaged in their lives in a way that your heart overflows for love with your family and therefore making any thoughts of tearing your family apart repugnant to you. You could faithfully pursue the work that God had called you to so that you have neither the time nor inclination for something as sordid as an affair. See the difference? We can build our lives... He says, we can build lives of truly lasting pleasure and so fortify ourselves against evil because evil has lost much of its allure. Or we can try with an iron will to scare ourselves away from evil while still deep in our hearts truly longing for it. Which life do you want to live? Which life do you believe will ultimately succeed? 19th century uh, preacher Thomas Chalmers also believed simply focusing on avoiding evil as a way of living the transformed life was, and I quote, altogether incomplete and incompetent and ineffectual. He believed that the constitution of our human nature demands instead that we focus on the rescue and the recovery of our hearts from wrong affections by embracing what he called the expulsive power of a new affection. In other words, you've got to put something there in its place instead of just getting rid of something. Chalmers argues an old affection is almost never overcome by sheer force of mental determination. Mental reasoning cannot possibly compete with the force of our passions as human beings. But what cannot thus be destroyed, he says, may be dispossessed or pushed aside. And one taste may be made to give way to another and thus lose its power as the reigning affection of the mind. It is thus, he says, that we cease to be the slave of our appetite. So, it's incomplete, or at least it's only half of the picture to simply say, hate what is evil. Although North American Christian Church has been pretty good at exporting that and declaring that as the sum total of what it means to be a Christian for a lot of years. There's a lot more to living the transformed life, which brings us to that third phrase in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, hold tightly to what is good. Cling, the text says. Cleave, hold fast to that which is good. I love the way that the message translation puts Philippians 4, verse 8. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say... You'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. In Romans 12, 9, that word cling or cleave or stay connected with is the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 6 
16 and 17 of a sexual relationship. In other words, what the author is trying to tell us here is when you are so satisfied and full in your life, whether it's in sexual arena or in other arenas, nothing else has an appeal to you. Secondary temptations and evil don't have that reigning place in your heart when you're satisfied and full. When you're satisfied with healthy food, gluttony loses its hold on your life. And that's why, friends, our theme as a community in 2013 is renewing your mind. And we're going to go about that by prayer and scripture intake. Because I want my life, I want your life to be full of things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic and genuine and gracious. And the expulsive power of these new affections that will come as we cling to that which is good, as opposed to merely avoiding that which is evil, will begin to allow God to do a transformative work in our lives. I don't want to combat greed in my heart in 2013 by trying all the time not to think about money. I want to combat greed in my life and in my heart in 2013 by filling my heart with generosity and by acting as a generous person would act, and thus the affections of my heart begin to change as I see the benefits of using God's resources wisely. You see, what will win the day for you and for me in transformed living isn't simply pushing through by sheer willpower to steer clear of that which is sinful. I think we need to give ourselves a higher and grander vision than that. You need to stop focusing on what you aren't going to do in 2013 and instead ask God to continuously fill you with new affections, with real devotion, with love and peace and patience and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit. That's what it means to begin to walk in that place where your life is genuinely transformed or turned upside down by the work of God and the Holy Spirit in you and me. We begin to experience and desire to live a life of satisfaction and fruitfulness found in relationship with God and with others, and not just experience pious or right-sounding words or beliefs, but genuine love for one another and for a world that needs to hear about the message of God's love. That's what it means to be genuinely transformed from the inside out. And I know that this is only possible as a work of God's Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get there on my own simply by trying to think about things that are good and positive. And I mean, I know myself and the temptations that I face and the things I wrestle with, and you do probably as well, are too deep-seated in my heart 
to just try and power of positive thinking my way into 2013. I need God's redeeming work of his spirit in my heart and in my life. I'm just not going to get there on my own. If I just try really hard, I'm going to end up producing a cheap knockoff version. I'm going to end up with empty and pious religiosity as opposed to a genuinely transformed life. The scriptures talk about having a form of godliness, but denying the power that is present in a genuine relationship with God. So as we begin this new year, I'm going to be here at the front on my knees praying. And I'm going to ask God to transform and change my heart and turn my life upside down. We have a prayer team this morning, Meg, and Bailey and others will be available. They would love to stand with you and pray with you. They'll be available here at the front and at the sides. They would love to dialogue with you about what's going on in your life. What are things that you feel like you want to talk about and ask God to begin to change in your heart and in your circumstances? Maybe you need to celebrate with somebody some things that have been happening in your life and some genuine steps of transformation that God's been doing in your situation and they would love to do that with you. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite uh, Jared and the team to come, and they'll lead us in response in song as we respond in prayer as well to what God wants to do in your life, in my life, and in our community here in 2013. So let's pray together. God, I want to thank you that the transformation that you have made available to each and every one of us is real and genuine and possible. It's not just a cheap knockoff. It's so much deeper and richer and more fulfilling than that. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you extend that offer to each and every one of us. Even everyone here who says to themselves, you got no idea where my life is at and the things that I've been through. I don't think that you even know the depths of my experience in terms of the temptations I wrestle with and the things I struggle with. In this place today, God wants to meet you and wants to invite you to turn your heart and your life upside down, turning it over to him by his power and his authority and his spirit. Maybe this would be the first time for you that you've ever done that. If so, I want you to come and talk to somebody here at the front and just say, I I need that transforming work in my life. I acknowledge that I need that and that I want God to be my forgiver and my leader. Lead me out of those places of darkness into a transforming work in life by the Spirit of God. Maybe you're here today and you just feel like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get this Christian life thing right. You know, every week I get trapped up in the same stuff, the same hurts, same hang-ups, same habits. I feel like I pray about the same stuff all the time. That's you. Maybe you want to join with our prayer team today and just say, you know what, I just feel frustrated, and I need to tell you about that. I want to pray with you. I want to just pour out my heart to God and ask you to partner with me in that. God invites you today into this place. 
to experience a life that is transforming by his spirit. You got to take that step and say, God, I need you in that. Take that step and reach out to people around you also who can help you along with that process. So God, I pray for each person who needs to take those steps this morning. I pray that you would gift us with courage by your spirit, that you would empower us by your spirit because we don't have to do this on our own. In fact, we can't. So we acknowledge that with humility. Some of us will demonstrate that by kneeling. Some of us will demonstrate that by the words of these songs that express our desire for you to transform our hearts and our lives. And so, God, would you hear and see each and every heart that's open before you this morning, inviting you to turn our world and turn our lives upside down. By your gracious Holy Spirit, would you meet and speak to each person this morning? Amen.